1: This week, we're listening to an exhortation that was given by Brother Stephen Mansfield back in February of 2021 uh, at the Garden Grove Ecclesia in Australia. Uh, This exhortation was while events were still going on with uh, COVID-19 and the lockdown, um, and then also was right after the events that happened in January 6th here in the United States. In his exhortation, Brother Steve is giving us an excellent reminder of while The amazing things about technology that gives us the ability to be connected even though we're far apart, uh, allowing things like this podcast to be possible because of all the recordings that are being done uh, now, even more so than they were in years past, but also stressing the importance of being together as a body, uh, not just connected by a screen where we're looking at each other. Um, As we're now in the summer and going on to the season where we go into Bible schools, Hearing him talk reminded me about the synergy and the energy that you can feel when you're at, your, uh, at a Bible school with those of like precious faith to be able to encourage each other uh, in a way that is more powerful than any virtual setting might be. Uh, so while well, the technology that we enjoy is amazing and has allowed us to do some incredible things, uh, it's important for us not to lose sight of the importance of being physically together and the energy the enthusiasm you can feel when you're in a room, uh, whether it's singing a hymn, uh, just hearing the buzz of people talking after they hear a really good exhortation or after the conclusion of a good class. Uh, so I wanted to share this exhortation that was sent over um, a little bit ago, but thought it was still a really good point. Um, so hopefully that you will enjoy this exhortation by Brother Steve Mansfield on the topic of the value of fellowship.
2: Good morning, my dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing week it's been as we've sort of watched the great superpower of America on a knife edge, wondering which way it's going to go. And from four years ago where Mr Trump made his catchphrase, let's make America great again, of course it's spiralled down into division, disunity and almost rebellion. Well, not only has this week been interesting, but the whole year really, hasn't it? What an amazing year for all of us, uh, a very different and distinct and remarkable year in the lifetime of all of us. And this whole COVID crisis has been very hard for us to, to deal with here in Australia, and of course, even worse in some of the overseas countries. Europe, they tell me, is going to hit the peak in February. So all the statistics that are coming in now are going to sort of ascend uh, through to February next year. So what an amazing world. And of course, right through the Middle East, there have been significant events as well with the Abraham Accord being signed off. So there are some, again, some wonderful and significant events that are happening there. And meanwhile, governments are pouring trillions of dollars into their economies to try and prop it up and keep the world going. And they're saying if COVID doesn't get you, the, the financial crisis will. So, you know, not much happiness ahead of us. Well, ahead of us, of course, there is the return of Jesus Christ, but for the world in general... They're struggling with all these events and trying to come to terms with them. So this morning, I want to talk about the value of friendship because, of course, all of us have been impacted by COVID, and even as we greet each other at the meeting, we're sort of a little bit apprehensive as to, well, do we do an elbow knock or a fist punch or a kick in the shins, or we're not quite sure what it is. Um, but certainly, we we need to emphasise for all of us the value of fellowship because some of us are getting quite comfortable with not coming along to the meeting. And we're saying, well, it's very convenient for us to recline on the couch and to, you know, watch a, a brother from either place or overseas or anywhere give a particular talk. And for us, you know, that, that's quite convenient and comfortable. Well, not at all, brothers and sisters. We need to remind ourselves, if nothing else, this impact of COVID and how critical and how important physical fellowship is for us. And we're going to see this particularly in this uh, event of the Apostle Paul here in Acts chapter 21. And I do have to thank Brother Scott for the reading. I did Acts 21 and 22 is the reading for the day, but I noticed at the end of Acts chapter 21 the finishing word is saying and it sort of continues on into into chapter 22. So I thought, well, you know, that's going to be a rather long reading. So we did chop it at verse 17, which is appropriate because it finishes on a positive note and that's really the thrust of our exhortation this morning. So we'll note from our readings last night that in chapter 20, the Ephesian members, the elders of the ecclesia, met with the Apostle Paul to show their respect and their love, their appreciation for his work that was over three years in particular for this Ephesian group. And in chapter 20 and verse 36, we have this final scene, this very tender farewell, verse 36 of chapter 20, which is the introduction to our comments this morning. It said, when he had thus, this is the Apostle Paul, spoken, he kneeled down and he prayed with them all. He wept sore and he kneeled down and he prayed with them. This this wasn't the women and the children of the ecclesia. This was the arranging brethren. These were the elders of the Ephesian ecclesia who had travelled 80 kilometres, and in my calculation, that's a walk of about 12 hours, a walk of about 12 hours, to catch this final contact with the Apostle Paul because they would see his face no more. They wanted to have a conversation with the Apostle Paul and receive his personal spiritual advice. They didn't dismiss it and say, well, it's too far to to go. Uh, They wanted to connect to the Apostle Paul in these final moments. And the record says they wept sore and they fell on Paul's neck. They embraced and they kissed him. You know, very reminiscent, wasn't it, between, I think the, the meeting between David and Jonathan in those final moments. First of Samuel 20, verse 41 and 42. The record says David arose out of a place toward the south. He fell on his face to the ground. He bowed himself three times and they kissed one another and wept until David exceeded. I mean, the Apostle Paul knows that it's going to be a very tenuous future in his progression through to Jerusalem. He's been warned on many occasions. He's a little bit tense. And it's not dissimilar to David, who had been anointed as king, and now he's on the run through the wilderness, and he meets with Jonathan. They weep together. The friendship is split because of the circumstances, and David is left exiling through, through the wilderness. There's a lot of tension in both of those stories. Tragic situation. And it's the same here because we get a bit of an insight, I think, into really the full dimension of the personality of the Apostle Paul. And often we think of him as a man that was independent. He had an iron will. He had a self-determination. He had courage to preach the gospel. Nobody was going to stop him. He was going to do his own thing. Well, now we're seeing the spiritual maturity of the the Apostle Paul and his love for brothers and sisters and that personal contact that he found so necessary in the struggle that he was going through. I like to have a colouring in exercise for every excerpt I do. And the colouring in exercise for us all this morning, I'll, I'll tell you the verses and the phrases. We're going to pick out the phrases where the Apostle Paul connected with his brothers and sisters. So, of course, little phrases here, the first one. He's in chapter 20, verse 37, they all wept sore. Okay, this is a very inclusive phrase in which Paul, Luke, and the, the brothers that were travelling with them connected to a number of ecclesias as they travelled toward Jerusalem. So verse 37, they all wept sore. Verse 38, they accompanied him. These are all terms of fellowship. Chapter 21 and verse 1, we were gotten from them, torn from them. So, so there's an emotional context in that particular phrase. Verse 4, finding disciples. So you can see this is building to the importance of fellowship. Verse 5, they all brought us on our way. End of verse 5, we kneeled down on the shore. Verse 6, we'd taken our leave one of another. End of verse 7, we abode with them. End of verse 8, we abode with him. Verse 10, tarried there many days so you can see this terminology and then across the page verse 16 went with us and finally in verse 17 into verse 17 the brothers received us gladly so you see in this narrative it's not just simply a personal diary of luke as he calculating the number of days to pentecost because paul wanted to be in jerusalem in that time period it's the inclusiveness and the connectedness with which paul received and enjoyed the company of brothers and sisters so the narrative in verse one of chapter 21 says, it came to pass after we were gotten from them. In the King James, of course, we just gloss over that phrase, but it is quite meaningful. The Greek word apospeo means to tear apart or to drag forth. Some translations have we tore ourselves from them. Okay, so you can understand now it's not just we, you know, we we left them, got on the boat, and waved goodbye. It's we, we wrenched ourselves from our from our brothers and our sisters, from our our contact with them. And the same word is used of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when he withdrew himself from his disciples and prayed. So Luke 22 verse 41 says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. He tore himself from those disciples. He wanted to remain within within the contact of those men. He wanted that human companionship in the turmoil and the stress of Gethsemane. And Christ tore himself from those men and he went and he prayed. He was desperate for that fellowship and that human companionship that all of us know are important on our journey to the kingdom. And the same sense is used in Luke twenty-four fifty-one when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Luke says, it came to pass <coughs> while he blessed them. He was parted from them and went and carried up into the heaven. So you can imagine that strong connection that our Lord had with his, with his men, with the men that he, he'd went, journeyed through for the last three and a half years. He's now being taken and received up into heaven and the records is he was parted from them. You know, for all of us, I guess, we find goodbyes very difficult. And, and I remember a particular occasion in Kunming, uh, in the ecclesia year 2019. And uh, we'd been there for just a little bit over a weekend and done some studies. I was doing the last talk. And I wanted to impart to the brothers and sisters like a final message of comfort. We didn't know what was ahead of us, but we were leaving a little group on their own to survive through very difficult circumstances. And Sister Penny was translating for me. And at the end of the the study, I gave a sort of a a final goodbye and I teared up and basically I, I did break down and said, we're going to miss you, brothers and sisters. We don't know what the future holds for all of us. This is 2019. We don't know when we'll be back. And, you know, trembling voice and tears streaming... And Sister Penny said to us, you know, Brother Stephen, you make it very hard for the translators to translate when you do that. (laughs) But for all of us, you know, very difficult goodbyes. And and the same here in verse 1 for the Apostle Paul as he leaves those Ephesian elders. And it's the same for us, isn't it, brothers and sisters, when we leave this place, surely... Surely we love to be here with one another. We're not out the door at the end of the meeting. We want to, we want to move around and contact our brothers and sisters. And you know, the Apostle Paul understands that's the whole meaning of the emblems because at the end of 1 Corinthians 11, what's the phrase that he leaves us? It's in the practical outcome of what the emblems mean for us. Doesn't he say, so tarry one for another, brothers and sisters? Now, 1 Corinthians 11, you get to the end. So tar- this is the meaning of the emblems, our connection, the joy and the importance of fellowship, tarry one for another. And we come to this place, as the Apostle Paul did with the brothers and sisters, for rebuilding, for reassurance, for encouragement, for commitment, to know that we're all on the same journey together, despite all our personal problems and difficulties. This is where we want to be, in the kingdom together. So we notice this whole aspect is continued in verse 4 as well. The little phrase there is, and finding disciples no one was waiting on the dock for the apostle Paul for Luke and, and the brethren there they actually disembarked from the ship and they sought out the ecclesia they sought out the brothers and sisters and they enjoyed says the record seven days with them it's almost as though you know it's a marking point we had seven beautiful and lovely days with the with the brothers and sisters and of course we know notice when they were to re-embark on the ship in verse five the record says, and they all brought us on our way. I've got the word all circled here because the whole ecclesia now goes to see the Apostle Paul off. And, and Luke puts into his narrative, with the women and with the children, the whole ecclesia was there. In seven days, the ecclesia had been concentrated into one heart and one soul. And this whole beautiful atmosphere and spirit is we want to go and see the Apostle Paul off on the boat. So he didn't just say Goodbye. And they prayed a final prayer as the end of verse 7 says, we kneel down on the shore and pray. What an amazing scene. Out of respect, the whole ecclesia with women and with children assemble and there's the boat, there's the harbour, and they're all surrounding the Apostle Paul and there's all these goodbyes and then they all go to their knees and they pray for a blessing on the Apostle Paul and the work which was ahead. What an amazing scene. The whole ecclesia kneeled together. Seven days of joyful fellowship. You know, when I was thinking about this, my mind went back to my early days in Woodville when we used to have amazing special efforts and the spirit of the whole ecclesia was sort of very excited. It was vibrant. It was real. And, in fact, we had a number of strategies with which to excite the brothers and sisters, and one of them was a, was a map on the back wall was a massive map, a world map. We'd have America over there. It wasn't quite as great it is these days. <laughs> and we'd have Australia here. And there was about uh, 25 dashes, because we'd be having a, a visiting speaker from America, 25 dashes from America all the way across to Australia. And one brother was designated by the arranging brethren to be the mover of the plane. And he would move one dash every week. So there'd be you know, half a year we'd start up front with the special efforts coming. And each week we would see that plane move one little dash. So hanging over the Atlantic for a week or so would have been very interesting. But, you know, we're there exciting. We're seeing this this plane gradually move across. So the Ecclesiastes are very fervent. He's coming, he's coming. And then, to our amazement, we would often receive a cassette tape of the brother who's given a little introductory talk. And on a Wednesday night, you know, some official would come down with a cassette player put the cassette tape in and press play and we'd all listen and we'd hear this deep voice of an American brother and we'd think, oh, yeah, okay, a little bit stout, a little bit overweight, short guy, you know. (laughs) And then someone like Brother Stan Isbell would turn up, you know, six foot eight or something and, you know, tall and lanky, so we got all that wrong. But there was a real excitement about our special effort together. And, of course, in the end of it, like this situation here, we'd all go down to the airport. And we'd stand out in the DC-9 or whatever it was back in those days. would start up and we'd all say goodbye to the brother and the plane would turn around. You'd feel that blast of, you know, Kero or whatever was coming out of the motors. <laughs> and, and we'd all say goodbye. Where's that gone, brothers and sisters? You know, nowadays we, we probably even barely say hello to the brother who does the special effort. So, you know, this, this whole aspect of excitement is, is important. I know those olden days have gone well and truly. But we need to do our best, I think, in our one-on-one conversation with each other to create that atmosphere here of kindness and compassion and concern and interest in one another. This is what it is about. Well, verse six goes on and it says, when we had taken leave one of another, taken leave one another, we took ship and they went home. All right. So there's, a, there's the disconnection there. But I don't think the King James does justice to what the Greek means. So in in verse 6, it says, take and leave one another. Ashposomai is the Greek word, and it means to enfold in the arms. Okay, so this wasn't just they got on the boat and they left and we went home. No, they enfolded one another in the arms is the Greek. Exactly the same word in Luke 1 verse 40, where Mary saluted Elizabeth. Again, you know, the King James. You know, I love the King James. It is my, my Bible of, of preference because... I've had it all my life, but saluted doesn't quite give the connotation. You know, saluted, and and that was it. No, no, not at all. I mean, Mary and Elizabeth. Mary's struggling with this whole concept. She's been selected to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, as so she heads down to contact Elizabeth, and they enfold one another in their arms because, well, they had some issues in life that they wanted to encourage one another through. And so here are uh, this the, this ecclesia. And they enfold each other in their arms. Again, the same reference is in verse 7 when the Apostle Paul comes to Ptolemais, which is modern day Acre or Akko. It says at the end of verse 7, we saluted the brethren. Same word there, to enfold in the arms. And this word saluted, of course, in our King James version is used mostly in Romans chapter 16, which I think is significant. If you know Romans chapter 16, it's a list of brothers and sisters but the Apostle Paul salutes. And at the end of Romans, which we know is a, an expository book, interestingly, the Apostle Paul finishes it with a whole chapter on how he wants to enfold his brothers and sisters in his arms. It's used in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Greet one another with an holy kiss. Well, of course, really difficult for us to do that these days because there are certain restrictions. So we we sort of develop this standoffish sort of gaze at one another as we sort of welcome each other. We don't really always know how to handle that. And it's very frustrating with the restrictions that we have. But I think we need to make sure that we're here as much as possible. While we can't necessarily physically contact and welcome each other, that we're actually here and engaging in conversation one-on-one and not losing that emotional, personal connection with each other. It's really important. And I know a lot of ecclesias are struggling with this whole concept of trying to get their members back, uh, even although there are many seats empty and, and brothers and sisters are finding it convenient, you know, just to switch on the screen and switch it off whenever they, they want. So for the Apostle Paul, you know, this was very important. It should be for us. And again, in verse 7, into verse 7, we notice, that Luke puts into his narrative, he says, look, we abode one day with them. I almost see the sense that Luke says, look, we would have loved to have stopped longer with them, but we just had one precious day with them. That one day was meaningful to us. And today is that day for us, brothers and sisters. What a privilege for us to come together around the table of the Lord. We know that there are many brothers and sisters throughout the world, Because of COVID restrictions, who cannot do that? I think the lesson, surely, that is emerging for all of us is the preciousness of fellowship and the opportunity to get together with one another. So let's not be apathetic about it. Let's not find ourselves comfortable in our homes. You know, the Apostle Paul says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As much as possible, brothers and sisters, we want to take hold of that opportunity. Well, Paul continues on his journey, and in verse eight, the record introduces us to a person. He says, "We came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven, and abode with him." And oh, we just want to stop for a little minute. Philip, who was Philip, the evangelist. It wasn't the apostle Philip; it was the evangelist. Remember his role back in Acts six was to take care of the widows, to support those that that were lonely and who weren't financially able to support themselves. But obviously he was enthusiastic for the truth. He's energetic, he has a fervour, he has a zeal because he's called the evangelist. It's the first time that word occurs. You know what an evangelist means? A bringer of good news. And someone who promotes the gospel, an evangelist, a bringer of good news. He's the only person in the Bible called by that title. Philip the Evangelist, only person in the Bible. And the reason, because he had such a positive love of the gospel. So you'll know that back in the book of Acts, Philip was sent down to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he's on a chariot. Philip goes down there. Acts 8 verse 39 is the final finish of that story. And you know how it ends? The Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And I think that beautifully crystallises the whole personality of Philip the Evangelist. He ran down to that chariot, explained Isaiah 53, and the Ethiopian eunuch left rejoicing because he was, Philip, a bringer of good news. There's only two other references to Evangelist in the Bible. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, where Paul says God has appointed in the Ecclesia some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. He's talking about the different roles and attributes that we bring into the Ecclesia. We may not be a pastor. We may not be a teacher. We may be a person who imparts good, positive news to people to try and lift up their heads and they go away rejoicing. Maybe that's who we are. And the other one is Second Timothy 4 and verse 5, where Paul says, Watch all things do the work of an evangelist. And I think, brothers and sisters, in 2020, this is who we can become, especially with the people that we mix in the world, whether that's at uni, whether it's in our place of employment, whether it's the mother's group that we meet with. There are people who are anxious about where this is all going, what it means in life, and we can be the bringer of good news to say there's a bigger, better, brighter world that Jesus Christ is bringing. And he's got the solution to every single problem that all these governments and authorities are trying to handle and they're not doing very well. We can be the bearers of good news. Well, Luke also notes, he adds this little point, one of the seven, one of the seven. So he's tracking back 20 years to an event that devastated Philip. And, of course, that event was the untimely death of Philip's Best friend. It was Stephen. Remember the whole seven? Philip and Stephen, they're all grouped together. These were brethren who bonded and they were vibrant in not only caring for the widows, but disseminating and distilling the truth of God's message. Philip would have been, he was one of the seven affected by the untimely death of Stephen, shattered by it. Who caused that? Who caused that death? Well, the record says, they laid their coats at the feet of a man called Saul. Uh, in chapter 22, verse 20, Paul says, and when the blood of Stephen was shed, I consented to his death. So this is very interesting because now for the first time it appears, this man Saul, the, now the apostle Paul comes into the house of Philip. And the value of fellowship, brothers and sisters, is in repair, isn't it? Reconciliation, rebuilding, helping, supporting. And here I just see this lovely narrative by Luke where he says this was a very interesting connection with the Apostle Paul and with Philip the evangelist, where the past was forgotten and the future was, of course, developed and highlighted. Well, not only that, but we notice about Philip. There's another little addition in verse 9. It says he had four daughters. They were prophetesses. And I think this is beautiful because Philip obviously... Is a bringer of good news, but he's not so busy outside the realm of his family that he didn't passionise his own family. And here's the evidence of, you know, gospel proclamation in a beautiful form. His daughters were so enraptured with the truth, they dedicated themselves to serving God beyond marriage. So they weren't married. And they were devoted to the truth. I guess that's a blessing. I'm not quite sure. I sort of picture myself, you know, the birth of the fourth daughter and someone tells Philip it's another daughter (laughs) and he says, I've already got three. Oh, what, four daughters? Can't I have a son? And I'm not quite sure in family life where where the daughters are easier to bring up than sons. I'm not quite sure. Family life doesn't always necessarily go the way we think it will go. But I just think it's very wonderful that Philip here, the evangelist, was able to involve his daughters, his family in the truth. And certainly that positive spirit that he had as an individual carried through to those that were very close to him. Well, verse 10, of course, uh, there's an introduction to another man. Uh, Verse 10 says, we tarried there many days and there came from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Why, Why Agabus? I mean, there's four prophetesses here that surely could have explained to the Apostle Paul what the future held for him. And in fact, the Apostle Paul already knew that in a sense because if you look across the page, chapter 20 and verse 22 and 23, Paul says, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that befall me, save the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city that bonds and afflictions await or abide me. And Paul already knew that. So why send Agabus here in verse 10? Well, because Agabus was an old friend of the Apostle Paul's. Back in Acts he's mentioned back in Acts eleven and verse twenty eight. Ten years ago, he warned of a famine that was going to encompass Jerusalem and obviously impact on the widows, the brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. And the record back there says that Paul and Barnabas, who were members of the Antioch Ecclesia, came to Jerusalem, because they'd just taken up a collection, they came down to Jerusalem and handed that over to the Jerusalem Ecclesia. That was 10 years ago and here is Agabus again and now very beautifully Paul is bringing a large donation from all the ecclesias with the brethren to the poor brothers and sisters there in Jerusalem. Paul in one sense is circling, he's completing the task he set himself to do because in some senses he was the instigator of perhaps some of the issues that those widows would have had to experience in Jerusalem because Paul cut off many of the brothers in the truth prior to his conversion. So there was obviously a practical flow on of the difficulty that he created. So it's cycling round, here's Agabus again, and Paul is coming to complete the task that he set himself to do. Well after this, as we know, Agabus takes his, his his belt and binds it, and the record is that everybody was upset in verse twelve. When we heard these things, we and they of that place said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says in verse 13, what mean ye to weep and break my heart? Just think of that situation. Here's Dr. Luke. Here's these faithful men that have travelled with the Apostle Paul for many, many weeks, uh, encouraging, talking to, collecting. And now all of them are displaying strong emotion, saying to Paul, don't go, Paul. This, this is not a good decision. And there's these strong emotional endearments, weeping, breaking my heart. There's a lot of pressure on Paul. Basically, the brothers were saying, take it easy, Paul. Take it easy. There's almost a pattern here. Well, there is a pattern between the the last few hours of the Lord's life as he began in the upper room and worked his way through to the cross. It almost parallels here this experience with the Apostle Paul. And you remember it was Peter. Uh, Peter... The record says it took him and he began to rebuke Jesus saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be up to Because Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem. And Peter says in the Greek, Lord, take pity on yourself. Take pity on yourself. And the Lord, knowing where he could go with that thought process, cut it immediately and rebuked Peter and said, no, I'm determined to go to Jerusalem. There's almost a, an interplay of that whole circumstance here. And in fact, verse 24, it's almost an echo of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Verse 24, chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear unto myself. I'm going to finish my course with joy in the ministry that I've received of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is going to Jerusalem to finish his course with joy. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who did exactly the same. He told Peter, get behind me. And then in his final moment, Lord, Receive my spirit. And that was said with joy. It was the completion of that task there in Jerusalem. Well, you know, this causes a bit of a problem because, you know, was Paul being silly about this? I mean, he's been warned in every city that this is going to happen. Well, they were warning Paul, they were just preempting Paul that this would not be an easy situation. Paul wasn't actually forbidden of the spirit itself because I'll give you the, the chapter where he was, Acts 16, verse 6 and 7 says, you remember the situation, he was, he was going to go up into Bithynia and into Asia, and the record says, he was forbidden of the spirit to preach in Asia. He essayed to go to Bithynia, but the spirit did not allow it. So there's a situation where that was very, very clear. What these uh, prophets and the message is saying is, Paul, if you continue to Jerusalem, life is going to get difficult for you. It's going to be very difficult. They were saying, be prepared. You know, that's the same advice we give young people, isn't it? As they set out on the course of life and as they're baptised, we don't, we don't just say to them, well, you know, life in the truth is going to be wonderful. It's going to be a, a, a garden of roses. Everything will smooth out. You'll become wealthy. You'll have a great job. We don't say any of that, of course. When our young people are baptised or they're going through tuition, we say to them, look, this is a big decision. It's a fantastic decision. It's a wonderful decision. But realise that you will have problems that you need to deal with. And that's exactly what is happening here. Well, Paul, I guess, could have retracted. He could have said, said, look, yeah, fair enough, I'm not going to Jerusalem. You guys continue on the way with the donation. But the Apostle Paul, knowing the value of fellowship, wanted to personally go to Jerusalem and give this to the ecclesia. He was not unconnected by the personal problems that others were facing and perhaps which he originally had been a contributor. So Paul's mission in life wasn't just simply to preach the gospel, we may have imagined that, it was also to take personal care of brothers and sisters that were struggling. I wonder whether you know, we need to do a, a sort of a recap on our own lives, our own attitude you know, as to what is our level of service. Sometimes, when we hear a person's going through a difficult time, we think, you know what, I'll do something brave. I'll reach for my phone and send an SMS message. And that's all we ever do. And then we, we say, look, you know, I, I find it difficult to get to the meeting. I you know, I, I, know I, I can't get into an air conditioned car and I can't go to an air conditioned hall and I can't sit at the meeting. I'd rather recline on my couch. You know, we need to maybe recap and rethink about our lives and what our attitude is to one another. For Paul, it was about personal commitment. It was about a one-on-one. It was caring for his brothers and sisters. And you'll notice across the page in verse 16, uh, these brothers went from Caesarea. They were so connected to Paul. They were so supportive of Paul. They didn't say, see you, Paul, best of luck in Jerusalem. No, verse 16 says, there went with us certain of the disciples of Caesarea. That's 100 Ks. That's a 23 hour walk. So they were, they were definitely, once Paul made the decision, they were coming alongside Paul and say, we will walk with you through this difficult time. And then the record says they conducted Paul to one, the King James is not quite correct there. It's not brought with them. It's they conducted Paul to one Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple. So he came and he stopped with Nason who was in Jerusalem. Comment there is he's an old disciple. Uh, different translation says one of the first disciples. Another one says believer since the early days. Rotherham says an early disciple. So he is perhaps an original convert prior to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and brother mate Nathan is still faithful. He's an early disciple. He's an old disciple. This little phrase that I've got here it says don't grow cold as you grow old. <laughs> A little bit of poetry. All right, don't go cold as you grow old. You know, that's easy to do. Uh, there is someone that got old and they got cold, and that's Solomon in 1 Kings 11 and verse 4. It says, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to other gods, and his heart wasn't wholly devoted to Yahweh, his God, as was David's. He got old and, you know, things got a little bit more difficult and he got a bit cold. But this disciple here was a disciple of long-standing And Paul came into his house. I would imagine Paul valued very highly the status of this older brother. Now, we've talked about different brothers and sisters. We talked about uh, in verse 5, those that were um, very supportive of of the work that the apostle Paul was doing. We've talked about those who are enthusiastic in verse 8, like Philip the Evangelist and his daughters. We've talked about those who are emotional in verse 13. But there, he, in this verse is an older brother who provided encouragement in his consistent and faithful example. You've got brothers and sisters that are like that in your ecclesia. I know that. I spoke to Brother David this morning. I mean, these, these are our older brothers and sisters who have gone through very difficult times are such an encouragement for all of us. We respect them, we honour them. And the Apostle Paul did exactly the same. And so we note in verse 17, when we were come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Word received, dekameia is the Greek word, to welcome with open arms. Same word is used to Simeon in Luke 2 verse 28, when the baby Jesus came in, and Simeon welcomed that. He'd been waiting for a lifetime to meet the Lord's Christ. And he took him in his arms. That's that word there. They welcomed him gladly. And, you know, in fact, that word gladly in the Greek is very interesting. Asmenos, uh, only one other occurrence. You'd be think the word gladly occurs right through the New Testament, wouldn't you? No, only one other occurrence, Acts 2 verse 41, talking about the ecclesia, It says, then they gladly received his word and were baptised 3,000 in one day. What a buzz. You know, what an atmosphere. There were people that were receiving the truth gladly. And how reassuring for the Apostle Paul to come all the way to Jerusalem and find that there were brethren embracing him with gladness. So what do you think, brothers and sisters, when you think of the word fellowship? When you think of the word, well, when you think of the word of God, is it? Isn't that term gladness? Sometimes we get weighed down with the, the pressures and difficulties of life and maybe that dissipates a little bit, but I think we need to have that reassurance that we are so glad that we have the word of God. There's nothing else out there. 2020, if nothing else, has proved to us that that world is vaporous and there's nothing for us. We are so glad that we have the word of God that we can cling to and hold on to and encourage one another in because there's a better future that's very, very close around the corner. And how reassuring for Paul that there were brothers that had that attitude. And so we come to the emblems and our minds reflect on the parallel between Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. Our Lord was quite sorrowful in the upper room. Just as these elders that we talked about, the elders of Ephesus, wept. And they were quite sorrowful that they would see Paul's face no more. And our Lord began a journey from the upper room that would eventually lead to his arrest and his death. And he said to the men in the upper room, he said, I've had such desire. This is the moment that is really important for me. With desire have I desired to have this time with you before I suffer. That's this time we have here, brothers and sisters. We don't know what we're going to face next week at all. And I think 2020 has made us realise that we never know what's around the corner. What an important moment for us to have this time together, these moments of fellowship. And then, as we know, the Lord left the upper room and he's headed to the cross and Peter tries to stop him and dissuade him from going down that direction. But the Lord's answer was not my will, but thine be done. Exactly the same as the words at the end of verse 14 there, the will of the Lord be done. So we gather this morning, brothers and sisters, not knowing what the journey is ahead, but surely we're thankful for the company of each other and for the input that we have in ecclesial life, the joy and the value of fellowship. And together we await that great day when we will receive the Lord in our arms, open arms, arms of gladness and joy. But finally, there is a resolution and there is a solution and an understanding to everything that we've gone through in life. So let us together in fellowship celebrate that as we eat bread and as we drink wine. And may our Heavenly Father be with you all in this coming week. May it bring the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and then the experience of unending joy.
0: Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk if you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm/gct or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages where we are at good Christadelphian talks on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at good talks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.